0: Welcome to the latest episode of the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, Classical Dressage with Partnership, Harmony, and Balance in Body and Mind with Anya Barron. If you're a listener of the podcast or have followed me for a hot minute on social media, you will know that I am a big fan of Anya Barron. In my opinion, she's the best dressage rider in the world that I know of. She hasn't won any Olympics or world championships, but in my eyes, she's won dressage in the horse's perspective. She's the most elegant and skilled rider I've ever seen. And if you watch her ride, it looks effortless and she is the definition of invisible aids. It is how dressage is supposed to look. I regularly return to her books, which are beautiful, by the way. I'll put a link to them in the show notes, the ones that are translated to English. And I've also done her online lateral work course, which I highly recommend. And I've even had an online lesson with her, which was very insightful. And the tips and advice that she gave me really improved my horse's way of going. Anya Barron trains horses with the classical principles of horsemanship, with her sole aim being to ensure in the course of her life that an increasing number of people become familiar with the art of classical horsemanship. She hopes very much that a great number of riders will be able to experience serious enthusiasm for classical horsemanship in its true and original sense. Anya runs her own farm and equestrian center called Gut Rosenhof, hopefully I've said that right, in Germany. She teaches numerous clinics and seminars all around the world, in the United States, England, and other parts of the world. And Anya's training philosophy is that dressage is here for the horse and not the horse for the dressage. And she prides herself in adapting to the individual horse's personality, solving any problem in a sensitive, horse-friendly way. Anya focuses on the natural movement of the horse using gymnastic exercises to help horses find balance mentally and physically. She believes that each rider should contribute to their horses living a long, healthy and happy life, which can only happen with a correct and holistic approach to horse care and training. In this episode, we discuss Anya's journey to classical dressage and horsemanship, partnership, harmony, personality, balance in body and mind as a basis for training horses, riding with invisible aids, and I try to get her secrets out of her in terms of why, um, how she's able to ride with such fine aids, a holistic approach to horses' happiness, the issues with nosebands and auxiliary or side reins, The origins of dressage and how it has changed over the years. The potential future of modern dressage competition. What the ultimate contact should feel like from a young horse to advanced. Classical dressage as a form of physical therapy for horses. How classical dressage has transformed the lives of horses destined for euthanasia. Her favourite classical masters and their books. What is meant by riding the horse from back to front and Anya's mission to have sustainable horses who are healthy, happy and motivated into their old age and so much more. Anya really does have an important message to share with the world and I hope that many riders will draw inspiration from how she rides and trains horses knowing that dressage should really be for the horse. I feel that Anya and I share a lot of similar values. We both believe that the training should be based on partnership and the horse's unique personality. We both believe in a holistic approach to horse keeping and training. It's not just one facet, it's everything. Everything affects everything. I personally don't agree with tying mouths closed um, with like uh, tight nose bands or dropped nose bands or flash nose bands or tying heads down with side reins and Anya shares her views on that also. Um, I, really related to her when she spoke about patience and small steps and only doing what the horse is ready for. And I really love how she encouraged everyone to read and learn as much as you can. And again, if you know me on the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, you know, I'm a total horse nerd, love reading and learning absolutely everything I can about horses. There is also a moment in the interview where anya talks about her own physical fitness practice despite riding nine horses a day for the past 30 years she still does off the horse exercise to improve her riding which again if you listen to this podcast you know that i'm a stickler for that and i think it's vitally important for every single rider to do off the horse exercise Hence why I designed my eight-week rider-specific exercise program using my physiotherapy knowledge. Um, So I absolutely loved it when she started talking about that. Anya is a highly experienced and knowledgeable rider. She has a confident but kind energy, which I'm sure is one of the reasons why the horses go so nicely for her. I hope that one day I can ride half as good as Anya. And I'm passionate about more people finding out about her because I believe she is a great example of what top level dressage should look like. Without further ado, let's jump into the interview with the one and only Anya Barron. Welcome to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, a source for riding and training insights with the goal of helping your horse be a light, happy and willing partner. I'm your host Amalia Dempsey, a mainstream equestrian rider who discovered natural horsemanship and equine learning theory and now I help riders like you achieve connection and communication with your horse so you can have more fun and fulfillment whilst prioritizing the partnership. Get more learning resources, including my free connection and communication mini course at amaliademsey.com. Click the follow button so you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave me a rating and review or screenshot this episode and share on social media. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome Anya Barron to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. It is an absolute honor to have you on the show today.
1: Hello, thank you for inviting me.
0: You're so welcome. I'm sure that many of our listeners know a bit about you already, but I think it would be a really interesting way to start to hear about your journey with horses so far, from when you got into horses to what has led to what you're doing today.
1: <laughs> so to make it short, when I was a little child, my mother was riding and she had a Friesian, So I... Lived with a Baroque horse from the beginning, and then we were only hacking. And I got an own Arab when I was ten or twelve, and um, that was a very different kind of breed, but was good for me from the beginning to the to see the difference of um, of horses. And uh, then, of course, I took lessons with normal schoolmasters and uh, my trainer my first trainer for his own he had a lipisana stallion and i wondered all the time why he can write very difficult things i didn't know what it is but he made piaf passage pirouettes, flying changes and the guy he almost didn't move on the horse and i had always to do uh, a lot of work with my legs and hands to get all these schoolmasters working even for trot or for canter it was really for me as a child hard work to make the horse go and make him move and this man was sitting very calm on his Lipizzaner stallion and uh, made a lot of different movements and I thought that's very fascinating and I asked him how can I learn this and he said, here in Germany, it's quite difficult. If you want to go to the roots, back to the roots of classical dressage, you should travel to Portugal. And as my mother, she was also riding, she said, okay, I'm interested too. Let's go to Portugal. And so with, I think, 14, I've been the first time there. And I started at, uh, near Lisbon at Luis Valenza's place. And, um, yes, there, of course, it uh, touched me in the moment because here the schoolmasters, I have written Lusitanos there, of course, uh, they have been so fine. And even for me as a young rider, many things I made on the horse, many aids I have given, they have been too strong. And um, then I made the first mistake in my in my life, because I thought it's, it depends of the horse breed. So I thought, yes, a Lusitano, a Lippisana is very fine. And the German Warmblood is not. But that's what I thought because I was young. Nowadays, I know it's not the truth. It's the way the horse is trained, of course. Mm. But I've been really, um, yes, in I've been in touch with the classical world. And for me was, fascinating and I didn't want to go out of that because before I have to say I did a little show jumping, I was doing a lot of hacking, I was riding more than one year without a bit, bit less, because I thought it's good for the horse and it's very bad for the horse's mouse to put a bit in. Uh, so I tried many things. And um, the truth is when when I arrived in Portugal and I have, I have had my first lessons, uh, it was very clear to me that this is my way.
0: Yeah, wow. And I, I feel like once you have seen that way of riding dressage, you can't really turn back once your eyes have been opened to the magic of the way that you ride dressage, Anya, You just want more and you want to learn more hence why I've read all your books and done a couple of your online courses. Um, <laughs> what would you say is your training approach or philosophy with horses today?
1: Um, today is, first of all, for me, is always a partnership. I'm a person who is looking always in, in every uh, thing of life. I look for harmony. So also with horses, I'm not a rider who wants to dominate or now today the horse has to do this and this and this. It's not me. So I'm always looking for harmony. The horse is my partner. If something doesn't work, I think about why it doesn't work. Maybe the horse doesn't understand me or is not in the moment to do it. Uh, That's very important for me. And then of course, the personality of the horse, his character should come out. Um, This is something I'm always looking for and um, another thing is of course to put the horse into balance the horse should have uh, a really mobile body if no when he has uh, parts of the body very contracted and the muscles cannot work uh, then the horse will not be happy so I think it's the balance of body and mind what I'm looking for and the partnership with the horse
0: love that that's beautiful and before you touched on you know riding a horse with subtlety and almost invisible aids like you're like it looks like you're doing nothing what would you say are your secrets to having that beautiful position and posture when riding and how do you achieve those invisible aids which is what everyone wants <laughs> to be able to do right <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can tell you there are no secrets Uh, There's no talent, it's just hard work. So um, nowadays I look back to more than 30, Yes, now 36 years of doing this in a professional way. That means normally riding nine horses a day and giving some lessons also and lunch some young horses. So you are 14, 15 hours normally together with the horses and you ride and you work on yourself. And of course, after nine horses a day, uh, when you ride so many horses and you cannot sit a little bit better than others who do it twice a week, (laughs) it would be very sad. So it's a lot of work. And after I've made my work with the horses in the arena, uh, then I go back home and I start to do gymnastic, uh, some exercises, especially for my body. Uh, to keep my body in a good shape. Because if I'm stiff, uh, I cannot follow the horse's movements very well. And if I'm not straight, I cannot ask my horse to be straight. So it's a lot of work on myself also. And um, normally, I don't take myself too important. But in this case, I have to, uh, because if not, I'm not good for the horses. So I have take the time in the evening even if I'm normally very tired and sometimes I start to fall asleep during the gymnastic but I have to do it
0: yes I love that you take that responsibility to improve your own um, yourself physically for the horses I think a lot of yes. horse people can relate because we're not very good at doing things for ourselves but we'll do anything for our horses right so yeah yes, I love that and I think that it's good that you you take that responsibility because it's not just about the horse being in balance, it's about the rider as well. And that's something that I took away from your book, The Dressage Seat, too. So
1: exact, yes.
0: Yes. And one thing that also stands out to me is your horses always look happy and relaxed in their work. What do you think makes a happy horse? <laughs>
1: Yes, the horse should get, of course, of course, uh, you should feed the horse as well. You need a good surrounding, uh, barns with a good atmosphere. The horses should uh, have the chance to go out to the field and to the paddock. And at the end, the, the most important thing is a good work and the fairness with the horse. If you are unfair, you can keep the horse in a very nice box and put him on the field and everything but if you are unfair the horse will not be happy Mm. and um, i think the good work makes it and um, yes that's so it's a little bit of everything if you work the horse very well but you feed him bad he will not be happy Mm. so it's uh, it's a complete thing
0: Yeah, really taking that holistic view in terms of um, the horse's training but also their environment. Love that. That's that's so good. And I just want to go back to before you touched on going through a phase where you road bitless for a little bit, um, and personally, I've experimented with bitless and bits and and other ways, even bridleless. But I'd love to hear your thoughts about riding bitless and with bits and even a double bridle, because I'm I'm sure you can shed some light on all of those areas for us.
1: Yes, um, I've made it when I was very young, more than one year. I practiced that without riding without a bit, and uh, then because the the way here the the were written the horses were not sensitive in the mouse and sometimes if you use the reins to balance your seat in the saddle it was not a problem because the horses didn't feel anything mm-hmm. and that's what i didn't like even when i was child but then in portugal for example i discovered you don't use your arms not your hands you just play very gently with your fingers and the horses react and that's what I want nowadays. I just move my fingers and the horse at the other end of the rein, he starts to chew on the bit. And if you felt one day how it is when the horse answers to you and starts to chew and how light the horse is then. You don't have any weight in your hand, just a chewing horse on the other side. And the the truth is when the horses start to chew, they start to be light and relaxed because when the mouse is speaking we say speaking the horse should not uh, be stiff in the mouse he should move the mouse when they start to speak with us they start to be relaxed also in the muscles of the neck of the shoulder and of the back that's why for example if you have a very stiff horse and you put him into piaf then he starts chewing on the bit And the other way around, when you move the bit a little on the horse's tongue or in the mouth, the horse starts to chew. So you can give an, how do you say, impulse, you can uh, make the mouth of the horse speak and that's good for the whole body. And this possibility you don't have bit less. Mm -hmm. And uh, for example, I had a very good Lusitano stallion, I rode him more than 20 years with a bit and he was super fine and sensitive and worked very very well and with about 24 or 25 years he got melanoma in the mouth and we couldn't put a bit anymore and we started to ride the old horse now bitless Mm -hmm. and of course he could still do all his piaf passage and pirouettes but i can tell you it was not the same feeling because you don't have this super sensitive influence you have just pressure on the horse's nose nose Uh, no matter what kind of uh, bitless thing you use you only make pressure on the horse's nose and even the owner of the horse who practiced the same she said oh it's such a big difference i never thought and uh, for me to ride with a double bridle is really something very very fine and when the horse is light it's the best feeling you can have
0: Mm, yes and do you think that there's a bit of a difference between a horse who's chewing on the bit out of anxiety say or because of harsh hands versus a horse who is accepting the contact and just softening the jaw do you think can you see a difference there can you feel the difference with that
1: um, yes, of course, normally the horse should chew because he is working and he the the muscles are working and he's in a in a good moment. Then they chew. That's why they chew in the piaf, for example. Mm-hmm. But um, one thing is you have to allow him to chew. That means you shouldn't close the nose band too much because then the horse cannot chew. But on the other hand, if you are strong with your hands, you have no soft hands, Uh, and you have the noseband light, then the horse also has the chance to open his mouth wide and uh, show that you are not a fine rider and that you pull on the reins. Mm -hmm. That's why nowadays they close the noseband too much. So that can also happen. But I think we should start to train ourselves and not to close the noseband too much. For me, the horse has the right to show when he doesn't feel well because of our hands so if he opens the mouth, okay I made a mistake and it's good when I see it but if you compete (laughs) it's better you close the noseband and the horse doesn't have the chance and there's another thing there are horses very I don't know if it's nervous but let's say hot for example the Lusitano is a horse breed for bullfight and these horses they are Uh, really hot they want to work they are full of energy and these horses they chew normally a little bit more or let's say a little bit louder with more expression than horses a little bit colder like a cold blood or uh, old style of warm blood they are not so hot so they chew a little bit less and the hot horse will chew a little bit more and people who don't know they say ah he's uh, super nervous and it's not a good work no but that's what i said it's the personality it's the character of the horse and we have to respect that so yes there are different kinds of chewing and we have to realize if it's good or bad if it's nervous or if it's still uh, in the in the character of the horse.
0: Mm, Yes, that makes sense. And I noticed that watching you ride, it appears that you've got this very soft and light contact. The horse is chewing, but they're very accepting of the contact. What are your views on riding with contact with the reins? And can you describe to us what the ultimate contact should feel like?
1: (laughs) Yes. Um, the, (laughs) (laughs) The question is very special because when we, we break in uh, three years old of course we start to have a contact because the horse little by little he has to understand that we want to control the speed with the reins in the beginning we want to turn left or right so the horse has to learn the rein aids mm-hmm. and for that we need contact and the horse in the beginning he's in a natural let's say horizontal balance mm-hmm. and um, is not sitting on the hindquarters and collected no no the horse is long and just in a natural balance and we need the contact and then and that's what the the modern way of dressage what the riders they forgot then little by little we train the horse for years and the horse starts to be collected And more the horse starts to bend his arches and will carry weight on the hindquarters, more the front is getting light and the neck is coming up. The neck is getting shorter and coming up. It's not the rider who puts the neck up with his hands. It's the horse. And more the horse is collected, lighter the contact will be. So it's a natural thing is we classical dresser should always follow the nature of the horse. So this is a normal thing. If the horse is horizontal and more forward, you have more contact and you feel more the the horse's mouth in your hands. And little by little, if the horse is more in self-carriage, he's not depending on the reins anymore. He's carrying himself. So the contact is not necessary. That's why you can throw away in a good Piaf or passage, or even in an, uh, collect the trot you can throw away the reins for a moment it's what la Guérinia said with the descent de main et des jambes he said you should give up the contact and doesn't do anything uh, for a moment to see if the self-carriage is true because mm-hmm. if you don't give up the contact you don't have the proof and on the other hand he said you can motivate your horse even more if you leave him alone for a moment that makes the horse more brilliant and um, that is what nowadays is gone, is the way from a, a normal contact in the beginning to almost no contact at the end because they always speak from a good contact. They want to have a, a good contact in Piaf, but they don't uh, give reins for a moment to see if the horse is carrying himself. Yeah. And um, that is where they, they lose the, the good way of dressage.
0: Mm. Yes, I was going to say that this um, lightness of contact in the higher levels isn't really exactly what we're seeing in modern competition today, um, in my opinion. How do you think dressage has evolved over the years and why do you think many classical trainers turn away from riding in competition?
1: The The competition thing is something that developed out of the cavalry school uh, for example after the second world war there was a problem because people the horse people were afraid that the horse will uh, pass away because the the motorbikes and the cars started to be fashion and the horses was were not needed anymore so they thought we have to create something uh riding clubs and uh things where people can compete to keep the horse alive so The first competitions, even for the military riders, uh, they existed to test if the soldier can use his horse very well. So they've been very simple. You have to do canter to the left and to the right. You have to jump over a tree and you have to go some steps, rein back, do a flying change. You have to do trot and launch a little the trot to see if the horse is forward and things like that so very very easy it's called the how do you say Campania school very um basic things yeah. and um that was the the base of the modern tests also mm-hmm. and then yes people started to ride and buy horses and of course little by little they created tests more difficult and then with these um With the idea the rider should show that he can control the horse very well, little by little they put even piaf and passage, so elements of high school and pirouettes into the test, but they forgot this is not a moment where you want to see that the person can control the horse and make the things at the point, now they put elements of art And um, yes, high school is something you need many years for that. You have to train not only the horse, but the rider in a very uh, detailed way. And suddenly (laughs) these elements have been in the tests, but the mentality and the spirit was completely different. And that's why nowadays they try uh, to do Piaf Passage with a strong contact or what is, for example, completely wrong. Is they do the passage and the extended trot with the same position of neck. Normally, in extended trot, the nose and should go really forward, and the neck should be longer because long step, long neck. Short step, up, short neck. So there should be a difference. But the horses they do all the tests in the same with the same neck. The only thing that, uh, when they are allowed to stretch the neck is in the long walk because then the riders, they are so afraid that the horses fall into the camel move, they are pacing. So then they give reins, they throw them away even completely to get a four bead walk. But the rest of the test, they do all with the same neck and that's not good, it's not correct.
0: Mm. Do you think there's any hope for the future of dressage? Do you think it can be changed to be um, better for the horse and more correct in terms of classical dressage?
1: Uh, normally it should be uh, possible, but I think in real life it will not possible because it's another way of thinking. It's doing sport on a horse, sport with an animal, and um, the the goals are different. So if you if you are a horse lover or really a rider. You make the best out of every horse you get. For me, it's, it's not important what kind of breed and how tall and if the horse is difficult or not difficult and good gates or not good gates. I try to make the best out of every horse. But here, if you see you buy a very good horse and then you discover ah, a little problem, he's maybe not good enough. You buy the next, you buy the next, you buy the next until you have the horse that is able to win with you because on yourself, you don't work too much. You just buy horses, horses, horses with a lot of capacity until it works. And this spirit of changing horses and buying always a new one, a better one, that keeps, of course, all the business alive. But um, that makes it difficult to change the things because, as I said, the spirit is very, very different. Mm-hmm. And I think, as we have uh, there, there get published a lot of things that shouldn't happen. For example, blood at the spurs, blood in the mouse, doping here, problems there. And um, more and more these things will happen uh, more and more the the people who don't ride they will say riding is cruel for the horse and uh, sports with animals should be forbidden there are already many voices like that mm. and i think sooner or later uh, it will be forbidden to compete with an animal i'm sure and uh, if we don't change the things quick and I think there's no change uh, no chance to change the things quick so I think it will be forbidden and I hope that there will it will be possible to ride still the horses and to train them uh, maybe just for fun for fun in a classical way
0: Mm, that might actually be a good thing for the horse world and I have had someone else on the podcast Uh, express the same uh, I guess prediction that the competition worlds might be shut down at some point Um, yeah yeah, I I guess it could be good or bad you know if they shut down competition will they eventually shut down us riding horses altogether who knows but hopefully we can turn things around before that happens or we can Mm -hmm. demonstrate that we can ride horses in an ethical way without competition yeah Um, yeah Going back to your journey with horses, what has been your biggest horsemanship or horse training breakthrough to date?
1: Well, that's difficult to to say, but there are things like, for me, it's not the thing to win something or to make a a outstanding show. For me, the things, um, the success, (laughs) success is a good word, Mm -hmm. at home, uh, is important. For example, I got a horse with a difference in his hips for more than 12 centimeters and the horse was completely lame. He couldn't uh, move the hind leg not forward and not up. Even half of the hoof was already gone because it was just the leg, he was just slipping on the on the ground. And he was in a lot of, how do you say um, hospitals for horses, I think in four and nobody knew what the horse had they had four different ideas what it is the muscles gone and the hips not straight and broken something and i don't know many many stories and they told the owner to kill the horse because even on the field he cannot have a good life because he cannot move and the owner he thought ah four different things what the horse can have maybe it's all wrong I will ask Anya if she can do something with gymnastic so the horse arrived I said yes yes bring the horse we will see but I didn't think how bad the situation was when I first saw him even to put him out of the trailer was a big story and I thought oh I don't know if this will work and then I started to work the horse in hand three or four times a day, just some minutes, five minutes. And I always touched with the whip, this hind leg, he couldn't move to step over a little. And he reacted very well. He was not against me. He tried to cooperate and he tried very hard to move this leg. And to make it short, the end of the story, after six months, the horse moved very well. The hips had just a small difference. And after one year, he made um, walk, trot, and canter very well. In the second year, we teach him piaf and passage. And at the end, he even made a flying change. And uh, it was something not only for the moment, because then the hips were almost straight. The horse was never lame. And he was here for more than, I think, 10 years and never lame again. And that was, for me, something that showed me what classical dressage can do to a horse it is gymnastic everybody says yes dressage is gymnastic but in worst cases it's like a physiotherapy it's like gymnastic for people who are really ill and uh, we can say classical dressage uh, solve the life of this horse and uh, some years ago three four years ago i bought another horse a very, very expensive stallion who made the, how do you say, the stallion test when he was two and a half years old. So much too early. And the horse was for more than two years always lame. And the vets didn't know why. They gave injection into the knee, into the back, and uh, they made different things and nothing worked. The horse was lame, sometimes in the front, sometimes with a hind leg and in the front. And after two years, because he could not make the next test he should do as a stallion, because always lame, they said they have to put him to slaughter because it will not work. And then they asked me if I want to get the horse. And the horse was really expensive. So they asked me 500 euros. That's nothing. It's the the price for the slaughter. And I bought the horse. And after three months here, he was not lame anymore. And now he's about three years here. And not one day he was lame. So those was just completely stiff on the forehand, contracted. And the gymnastic helped him to use his body. And uh, that was the, the problem. It's like ourselves, when we are very stiff, we don't move well. Mm-hmm. And it uh, doesn't mean that we have something really at the, at the vertebrae or somewhere. Maybe we are just stiff in the muscles and not straight. And then we cannot move in a in a good way, and mm. was' the same with this horse?
0: Mm, yes, that makes so much sense, especially to me, yeah because I'm also a physiotherapist. And when people come and see me for treatment, humans, uh usually it's because they're not moving enough or not moving in the right ways that's causing their pain or injuries. So it makes total yeah. sense. But I feel like that hasn't really translated over to the horse world fully yet, but hopefully people listening to this podcast can get some hope from this in that. Classical dressage might be a form of physical therapy for their horse who perhaps has some lameness issues.
1: Yes, you know, because nowadays horses, they go lame and have problems because of dressage. And that's completely the other way around. It should be. They say, ah, I made a a very difficult test and the trot in extension and now my horse has a problem. Yes, because the dressage is wrong, but normally the dressage is therefore the horse, helps the horse, and it doesn't exist to destroy the horse.
0: Mm, It makes sense that it is something that helps the horse. Otherwise, why would we be doing it, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: What is something that you wish that every horse owner would do differently?
1: Yes, something very important is the riders should feel first, And especially when something does not work as they want, they should feel. And next step, they should think about why. Why, why, why? And then they should try again. If they have an idea of a a solution, then maybe they should read or ask somebody with experience what they can do and try again. But I watch very often that the writers, they try to do something It doesn't work. And then they start immediately to punish the horse. They start to beat the horse. They use spurs. They pull on the rein. But they don't feel and think. So it's the first thing we should do. Because for me, the horse is a very, very willing animal. He wants to do it right. So if it doesn't work, it's our problem. We should look what we made wrong. We should uh, search where is the mistake. So feel, think. Ask somebody, read, and try very carefully again and again in in different ways to get the solution, but don't punish the horse immediately.
0: Yes, that's so wise. And I'm curious to know whether someone like yourself with your level of experience and expertise, whether you still do this for yourself on a daily basis, Like, do you still come across perhaps more smaller issues where you go, okay, I've got to stop and feel and think about this instead of just immediately, you know, using firmer pressure or or a stronger aid?
1: No, because I don't like to fight with the horse. I don't like to fight with anybody. I'm really somebody who is looking for harmony, and I'm very patient. And everybody who knows me knows that I'm patient with the animals, it, it doesn't cost me anything. I don't have, if the horse makes a hundred times the same mistake, uh, pff, it's not difficult for me to stay calm. Mm. There are other things <laughs> working at the computer, for example, I get crazy <laughs> in <two> seconds. <laughs> if it doesn't work, I say shit machine, why does it work? But with the animals, for me, is it, it's normal to stay calm, even if they are bucking, running, pff, I watch, I stay calm, I think. So, um, yes, it's for me the normal way to feel and to think about and to to look for a solution and not to punish the horse because maybe it's my character or my way. uh, So I don't have to tell myself, stay calm, breathe, wait a little. No, I am like that.
0: Yes. Yeah, and I'm sure the horses appreciate that calmness and patience
1: for sure. Yeah, maybe. Yeah.
0: If you could have dinner with any three horse people, dead or alive, who would it be?
1: Um, yes, of course, Nuno Oliveira, the Portuguese master. Mm-hmm. And then we have Udo Bürger. It's a German rider and veterinary. Mm-hmm. And he was the, the vet of the cavalry school in Hannover in the Second World War. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that because he wrote some books, and i think that's a very very interesting person because he for example he has also written uh, the best would be if you can write a difficult uh, test of dressage a very high level test without reins he said that would be the best mm. so i think a very interesting guy and he also said uh, dressage is physiotherapy he has written this in his books Mm -hmm. and another guy is (laughs) he is called Baron von Regental he was a writer in the Spanish writing school in Vienna Mm -hmm. and he was againstly against uh, all auxiliary reins for example Mm -hmm. and uh, he didn't like uh, hard or rough aids he they said he was very very sensitive and you couldn't see anything what he was doing on the horse and the horses moved in very different kinds of exercises. And uh, and he was against auxiliary reins that I found very interesting.
0: Would you be able to share with us your views on auxiliary reins? We call them here side reins or there's another version, which is draw reins. I'm sure there's many names for them around the world. Yeah. But do you use them? What are your views? Um, yeah, could you share a little bit about that?
1: yeah i don't use anything of this i even don't have it here Mm -hmm. and the thing is when the horse is young he needs the the longness of his neck to balance himself he should put the nose forward make a long neck to find his natural balance again because one thing is sure as soon as we put our weight on the horse's back we destroy his natural balance so he to to find it again the horse needs a long neck to find his horizontal balance again so there's no it's not the moment for any auxiliary reins to manipulate the neck first thing Then little by little, we do gymnastic for the horse. We engage him more. The horse starts to carry more weight on the hindquarters and the horse will lift the neck. So the horse takes always the position of neck. What we ask him or or the position of neck of the the level of the training, actually. Mm -hmm. And as Udo Burger, here has written, if we train from the back to the front, as every master says, you have to ride from the back to the front. The neck is naturally the last part of the horse's body that will be in a nice position because the neck is on the other side when you start in the at the end. Mm-hmm. And the neck is the last part that takes a good position. So we have just to be patient and wait for the neck. So I think auxiliary reins, they just use... Uh, they just uh, create tension in the horse. They put the horse on the forehand. They put the horse out of balance. They put many horses behind the bit because there's a pressure, and to escape the pressure, they put the nose backwards. And then nowadays we have here to to ride more horses with problems that they are behind the bit then over the bit and that's the result of all these auxiliary reins. So for me there's no moment in training where we need it. and um, yes, I think they only have bad uh, results.
0: Yeah, yeah and when you mentioned the riding a horse from the back to the front, I think there's also many interpretations of that as well. what what does it mean for you?
1: The horse should be forward at all. And um, for example, with a young horse, you take the reins in a length that you feel a light contact, but, and this is something the soldiers in the past, they could, but the people, the riders nowadays, they could not. You have a light contact, you feel the horse, but you don't manipulate the neck. And that's the point because nowadays watch the riders, even on young horses, they take the reins and immediately they start to make the neck short, to put the neck down up here, here, here. And this is not our work. And if you see old movies with the soldiers, they took the reins, the the length of the reins was uh, in harmony with the horse's neck, and then they just had contact, but they didn't manipulate the neck because the neck little by little will take the correct position. What we have to do is to give a little flexion sometimes or to bend the horse, to put the horse little by little straight because the horse always has one stiff side and one side where he's naturally bended. And to correct this, of course, we need a little flexion here, sometimes a little bending there, but we don't have to put the neck up or down or make it long and short because that is what the horse himself makes in the moment and according to the movements he makes it like this you accept the nature of the horse if you do it in another way you destroy the nature and you work against the horse and not with the horse
0: mm, yes yeah that makes sense and i feel like your all your work that you do with the lateral work as well should help that horse find that that beautiful outline that everyone kind of seeks even though that is the end result of all the, all the gymnastic work that you do.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Mm. And so you've mentioned um, Udo Burgers, hopefully I said that correctly, Mm -hmm. his books. Can you let us know which books they are? And do you have any other favorite horse books or resources?
1: I don't know if um, they are translated into English. Uh, Ah, yes. Yes, yes, two um, Two famous books. Um, I in German is Vollendete Reitkunst," <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, another book is "The Rider." How do you say? Is forming the horse? Um, these books are really, really good, and of course all the books of Nuno Oliveira. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I like these books also because both of them, Udo Bürger and Oliveira, um, they they don't make it complicated. They write in simple sentences you can understand because there are other masters you have uh, to read the things 10 times to understand a little bit what they maybe mean but these two they are very clear and when they are clear of course we have the most profit (laughs) Mm -hmm. and there's no uh, there's no possibility for many interpretations and maybe you make a wrong interpretation so i like the books very clear and uh, I think like this, we can learn in the best way.
0: Yes. And of course, there are your books as well. And I can't remember how many are actually translated to English, into English, but I have the classical dressage um, with Anya Baron book and the dressage seat, which are two of my favorite books that yeah. are often on my bedside table. So thank you so much yeah. for those. I think everyone should have that, those books in their collection. Do you have any other books in English?
1: in english no i don't think i have some of the masters of Vienna, like kurt albrecht podaisky of course mm-hmm. and there are many old books of uh, la Gueriniere and many old masters also um, i don't know what is translated into english but mm-hmm. i think if you do steinbrecht if you read all the old masters boucher Uh, you will always find again and again the same spirit and uh, that's why it is important to read a lot to have an overview and um, yes if you read the old masters is never wrong.
0: Mm. You have already done incredible work with horses but I'm curious to know what is your ultimate goal is there something else that you're seeking or striving for with horses?
1: For me is, I don't know if I, I can say the word correct, but is very fashion, is sustainability. Mm-hmm. The horses should stay healthy and get old and should be happy and motivated. So this is for me very, very important with every horse. And actually I've heard many horses more than 26, 27, 28 years old. The oldest is 34 and he's still moving in walk, trot and canter, he's still fit and um, this is very 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 important for me, for every horse, that we make the best out of every horse, to work him in his capacity, to accept what he can do and what he cannot do and to help him uh, to get uh, old and be healthy and happy. Mm. But, of course, it would be great, but I, I don't think it will happen if one of, uh, of the very famous dressage riders uh, would come and say, maybe we work one horse, not so talented, maybe together just to see uh, there's a difference. That could be interesting. I had many Dressage riders, uh, they they compete, but they just want to help for piaf, for example. They come here. Ah, we have a problem with the piaf. Can you touch? Because they think I have a special touch, and <laughs> that sure is completely <laughs> yes, uh, and that's completely crazy because it's all the gymnastic before that makes the piaf. Touching the horse with the whip is just one percent. 99% is the preparation, the school walk, the gymnastic, all the lateral movements, the rein back, all these things, the lightness in the hand that leads to a good piaf to have the horse mobile and is not the touch. So, if one of them really would start to think and feel and uh move in this direction it would be great because if one of them with a good name would present a horse in a different way uh, he can change a lot because all the others will always ride like the best who wins so if somebody can win with a light horse and the reins a little bit loose it would be great but i think it's just a dream
0: yeah okay so are you talking about having um you train or you ride at, at say like a what would be viewed as an average kind of horse and a competitive a top dressage competitive rider ride that yeah. same horse and and see what the difference yes. is. Yeah, yeah that would be really interesting actually yeah I don't know if it will happen though <laughs>
1: <laughs> no Maybe no
0: make it happen one day
1: <laughs> it's now, not necessary because they win so never change yeah. something never change a running system it works no
0: yeah true true now, what is the one message that you would like our listeners to to hear from today's interview?
1: Um, the most important thing is that people should know that dressage exists to help the horse, and dressage is the base classical dressage of everything doesn't matter because i started for example many quarter horses if you want to do western riding or show jumping or eventing whatever you want to do a good gymnastic and a horse in balance is good for anything you would do for the horse because the horse doesn't pay with his health when he's mobile and in a good shape so for me classical dressage is the basic of everything and you can do it with any kind of horse and it exists to help the horse and people should try to learn 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 more about this
0: i love that and speaking of learning more about it where can our listeners find out more about you and what your offer where can they buy your books and join your
1: courses <laughs> yes of course we have the books we have online courses what i think is a a very good way to learn, even when you're far away, because there are many, many movies inside. And we show the things with young horses, horses a little bit trained, better trained and well trained. So you see the difference and you can follow the way and uh, you can try to imitate that. And of course, I explain a lot and we have the uh, the uh, question answer sessions. So I think that's a good way to learn. And um, if you want to see really how it works here, we have every year in July, I think this year it's the last week of July, we have an international workshop where we always have guests from more than 21 to uh, 23 uh, countries, nations. And they come here to visit us and we have every day a special topic. And then we work a lot of horses and we explain and go deep into the topic. And after each horse, the guests can ask questions to understand really what we do and to see how it should look like also. Mm -hmm. And um, I have some guests, they come for more than 10 years now, every year. And I never give one lesson to them but they show me movies of their horses at home. Every year I see new movies and the horses develop, develop, develop. They do suddenly a flying change, a half pass, a piaf, just from watching one week here, the work and ask me questions. Then they try to do it at home and it works. So if you think a lot and you try to do it gently, you will have success.
0: Yes. And I think it's really good to have that visual in your mind as well. Um, I have to confess that sometimes, Anya, before I hop on, I will watch videos of you riding so I can have that image in my head. Yes, it's good to
1: have a picture, yes.
0: Absolutely. Anya, thank you so much for coming on the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast today and sharing your wealth of knowledge and expertise on horses and classical dressage with our listeners. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much. It was an honour. Thanks for listening to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs
0: podcast. Make sure you hit the follow button so you get notified every time a new episode is released. And if you've learned even just one small thing from today's show, I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or screenshot this episode and share it on social media. You can connect with me on Instagram at amalia underscore horses or my website amaliadempsey.com where you can find free resources to help you on your horsemanship journey that's all for today. Thanks for being here. Remember to train with kindness and ride with excellence. And I'll see you in the next episode.